Don't miss the latest stories and analysis about the future of education from the ReLearning Project. Sign up for the weekly newsletter at chronicle.com slash relearning. Hello and welcome to the Chronicle of Higher Education's ReLearning Podcast, a weekly look at the future of education. I'm Jeff Young, and I'm here with Goldie Blumensick. Hey, Jeff. So one of the biggest buzzwords in education these days is the notion of mindset that some students are held back by a belief that they don't have what it takes to make it, especially in fields like math and science. But this whole mindset theory says that once they see themselves as able to learn, if they work hard, they actually go much farther. The leading researcher in this field is Carol Dweck. She's a professor of psychology at Stanford. You've probably come across her work. Her book has sold more than a million copies. In fact, a story I just read about the CEO of Microsoft said he has it on his shelf, and I suspect a bunch of other CEOs have it there too. She also has a TED Talk that's been viewed more than four million times. Now, of course, this mindset idea is out there quite a bit. um, And sometimes it might get overstated and definitely can sound a little simplistic. Probably as many people are are stating it kind of correctly as incorrectly, I think, out there. Yeah, definitely definitely the case. And that was why I was really glad to recently get a chance to sit down with Carol Dweck and get a clear sense from her of her theory and how it does and doesn't work. She also shared with me some of her latest uh, sort of untested theories some of which she's using on herself and on her husband. So, <laughs> so she's the guinea pig here. Yeah, and he. <laughs> but I started off by asking her, what is it about mindset that's most misunderstood? Well, um, I originally thought it's such a straightforward concept. <laughs> you believe talents and abilities can be developed, or you believe they're sort of carved in stone. And um, we were quite clear uh, about the concept, so I was really surprised to find many people misinterpreting them. Um, one thing is that a, a lot of people uh, just kind of take what they like about themselves. I'm open-minded, and they call it a growth mindset. And in fact, you hear a lot of people say, oh, I have an open mindset. I'm happy for you, but it's not a growth mindset. And if you start straying from the core definition, the idea that talents and abilities can be developed, then you, you start losing the benefits. Other people um, go on a praise the effort craze. And effort is part of building your abilities, but I find now that many educators are praising effort that's not effective. So a student is trying hard but not getting anywhere, and they want to make the student feel good, so they praise the effort. But at the same time, what are they doing? They're settling for poor performance. It's almost a fixed mindset, assuming the child can't do any better. And they're just doing, they're pretending to have a growth. Yes. Pretending to reward a growth mindset. Yes, exactly. And kids know that you think they can't do better when you give them that kind of effort praise. So it really backfires. I've heard criticism of the of the philosophy too. I've seen, oh, you made a face. Um, <laughs> I've, I've seen the phrase academic homeopathy. Um, I'm not so sure that's meant as a compliment. Mm-hmm. I mean, why do you think it sometimes uh, generates a little bit of uh, criticism? I think um, people may see it as, uh, and we're not saying it is by any means, kind of a magic bullet. Uh, you just tell kids you can get smarter and off they go. It's really hard to believe. And you shouldn't believe that that's all it is. We have programs, they can be relatively short, but boy, we work on them for years to have all the ingredients where um, students feel honored and respected by the program. We have exercises so they internalize it. We show them how to 
apply it to their um, schoolwork. We make them not ashamed to go for help if they need it. We have testimonies from advanced students who have gone for help, who have gotten tutoring in new strategies and so forth. So I would wince too if I heard, oh, you know, for a few hours students did this and then they achieved better and it lasted for X amount of time. Oh, that doesn't sound plausible. But when you think about how we've studied this for over 20 years and we spend a, spend a great deal of time uh, crafting our programs to really connect with the student psychology, it becomes more plausible. How did you get into this? I mean, what, was, what were you working on that suddenly shifted you towards mindset? I've been working on this forever, since graduate school. Uh Not the mindsets per se, but the whole question of why some people take on challenges and see them through, and others who are just as, quote, smart or, quote, talented, are afraid to do something difficult and uh, wilt at the first sign of setbacks. Uh, that was my dissertation topic in graduate school. And I Do you remember what, I mean, obviously you remember why, but what was it that sort of even got you sort of you know, excited about this topic to begin with? Well, there were two things. One was there was new animal research on learned helplessness that showed that um, animals who had certain experiences weren't able to escape shocks or help themselves even when that became possible. So that was one line of research. But later I realized it was, um, we have a term in psychology called me-search. There's research and there's me-search. And I realized that this was an issue of tremendous personal importance because I had been a smart Person, my sixth grade teacher seated, seated us around the room in IQ order. I was in the <laughs> IQ first. Order, great. <laughs> I, yeah, ooh, what was that about? I don't know what she was hoping to accomplish, but you know, I had the seat of honor, and uh, it, on the one hand, could have scarred me for life, and it did for a while make me afraid of challenges, but but it also probably set me on this course of studying that. But of course, mindset can only go so far in helping students. There are a lot of other issues out there. Poverty, how well prepared the students are. So I asked her about that. Obviously, if there's a school that's not functioning and no teaching is going on, a mindset that makes a child better prepared to learn, it's not going to work. There has to be something going on that they can apply it to. So you said you sort of learned about, started into this with a, because you yourself found it useful. Are there some growth mindset interventions that you play on yourself these days? Oh, yes. A <laughs> um, colleague of mine in Australia named Susan Mackey identifies uh, this idea of finding your mindset triggers. What p- say? First of all, to say we're all a mixture. You can't anyone who says I have a, I've always had a growth mindset, I have a total growth mindset, I have a growth mindset all the time, false. We're all a mixture and we all have triggers, things that put us into more of a fixed mindset, make us anxious about our abilities or, um, you know, worried about struggling. 
uh, it could be a certain area, but, but it could be whenever we have setbacks. M- many people have episodes. So um, identify those triggers. Start noticing how you feel and think when your fixed mindset is triggered. And then Susan Mackey said, and I saw her working with banking executives doing this, give your fixed mindset persona a name. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) And I heard a banking executive say, yeah, when I'm in a crunch, I have a deadline, Dwayne shows up. And this is what Dwayne does and how Dwayne makes me feel. This is how Dwayne affects people around me. And then the final step is talk to Dwayne. Get Dwayne on board with your growth mindset goal. So he said, like, don't, don't try to get rid of Dwayne. Don't disrespect him. But whatever, whatever you name your uh, fixed mindset persona, say thank you for your um, input or I appreciate your contribution, but why don't we try it this way? Why don't we take on that challenge? There's a setback. Dwayne comes rushing back, laughing at you, saying the world is laughing. Okay, that's one way to look at it. Um, but I think I learned something from that setback. So. What, what if we try this other strategy? Dwayne, you think you can bear with me on that? And um, so I've tried it out, and um, I tried it on my husband the other day, and uh, it, it's interesting. It's something we want to subject to rigorous research to see if this is a, um, really a powerful mindset change technique. But I know for a fact that just getting people to acknowledge that they have fixed mindset triggers is powerful. It sort of reminds me of having your imaginary friend when you're a kid. Yes. (laughs) But now your imaginary friend is not so helpful all the time. Means well, wants to protect you, but that protection is limiting you. Get Dwayne on board. I do love that. I've been trying to think, like, what am I going to name my mindset? Um, (laughs) (laughs) This is great. She's probably right. With just a little change in the way you think about things, a little turn in your temperament, maybe a little self-consciousness, it can really make all the difference in whether you get past an obstacle or whether a student achieves in school. Yeah, there's a certain kind of common sense to it. I really do wonder what her research will show. This has been the Relearning Podcast. It's part of the Chronicle of Higher Education's coverage of innovation at colleges. And you can read our articles at chronicle.com slash relearning. If you like this podcast, subscribe on iTunes or your podcaster of choice. And to share your thoughts about the role of mindset in the classroom, head over to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash relearningproject. Or you can talk to us on Twitter at relearningedu. Today's show was produced by Jeff Young. Hey, that's me. Our theme music was by Jason Goodell. And we'll be back next week with more stories about the new learning landscape.